Hello and welcome to episode 44 on the NDL show. Launching us into this episode is this track called Another One by Dali Danger featuring Trust B1 and Jabba. We just made another one. Told my homie, pull me up another one. Got a good girl, don't need another one. But if she don't pick up, I'll call another one. Yeah, yeah, light it up, smoke another one. And when I'm done with this one, roll another one. Friends, I don't need another one These are not the same fans, these the other ones Whoa, yeah. When I make a million, I'll make another one Bank that million, sus up, bank another one Homies ask for 10 bands, I'll give them another one So that they don't ever need another one YOLO life, like I'll live another one Might just hit a line, then just hit another one Yeah, this shit all to me, I need another one yeah, bad decisions made will make another one. Yeah, she gon' ride me like she owe me one. She gon' bounce it up and down like I'm the only one. She gon' hold me down, she say she gon' hold me down. Used to play that back and forth, she telling me she know me now. And she riding passenger kind and another one. Straight through the kitchen, just me and my niggas, we cook up another one. Ugh, I jump off the shelf, Ish. I'm feeling myself, elevate, elevate, feeling myself, yeah. I jump off the shelf, elevate, elevate, feeling myself, yeah. She knew and she like it, she moody Plans big as a booty, let us run to her Look at these bougie, you throwin' our bands, she findin' the music And hey, she want the y'all So you low niggas with your low self, get your low ass to the door Yeah We just made another one Told my homie, pull me up another one Got a good girl, don't need another one But if she don't pick up, I'll call another one Yeah, yeah Light it up, smoke another one and when I'm done with this one, roll another one uh, Fake friends, I don't need another one These are not the same fans, these the other ones Whoa, yeah. When I make a million, I'll make another one Bank that million, sus up, bank another one Homies ask for 10 bands, I'll give them another one So that they don't ever need another one YOLO life, like I'll live another one Might just hit a line, then just hit another one yeah, this shit all to me, I need another word Yeah, bad decisions made will make another word Yeah, living life like whichever I want my last, yeah Today I'm sipping Kingsley out the glass I'm too hard, I'm prime stove with the gas Make a lot of money just to make sure that it lasts, yeah Told my girl that she the only one Said the same shit to another one We made the song and made another one I'ma make hits until I'm number one Making moves with the team, that's the dream Money for the self-esteem Got a plan, perfect scheme Got the cash, money machine I'm too fly like fly machine Now it's a jump, trampoline Smoking purple, sip no lean Martin Luther with the dream We just made another one Told my homie, pull me up another one Got a good girl, don't need another one but if she don't pick up, I'll call another one. Yeah, yeah. Light it up, smoke another one. And when I'm done with this one, roll another one. Uh, fake friends, I don't need another one. These are not the same fans, these the other ones. Whoa, yeah. When I make a million, I'll make another one. Bank that million, sus up, bank another one. Hope 
It is Dali Danger coming through with this latest offering called Party Pack. And this track that we just played for you is from that EP. It is titled Another One featuring Trust B1 and Jabba. On the socials, follow Dali Danger on Instagram at Dali.Danger and on Twitter at Dali with a double I underscore danger. And of course, stream Party Pack today. Thank you so much for choosing us. Last week, we released our music edition with Sandra, unpacking her project titled For Real This Time. Do check it out. And on this episode, we are going to unpack marriage and motherhood at the age of 21 with Sasanda Mashero. I would like to put a trigger warning right here. The conversation does detail a number of traumas, so if you are sensitive to conversations surrounding sexual abuse and its effects, please do skip this episode. Now, wherever it is that you are listening to this conversation, please follow us on that platform to get notified every time we drop. Do rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts as well. On the socials, we are at The NDL Show. Submit your music or any other inquiries to our email on the NDL Show one at gmail.com. Comp yourself some show merch at the price of 150 Rand. Simply place your order by deeming us. Orders are confirmed by payment. So, you and I have a lot to get into. Do stay tuned. This is the NDL Show. Coming up on episode 44 on the NDL show, we talk getting married at the age of 21 and being a new mom with visual artist and herbal life distributor, Sasanda Mashejo. We get into how past traumas affect the way in which we navigate our present and more. All of this coming up, stay tuned. for staying tuned. Now today on the NDL show we are finding out about the lived experience of a young lady like me who I've known to be fearless in high school. We went to the type of colonial and highly heteronormative high school of which we were boarders at where we were always conditioned to fit into said prescriptions of what a lady is, of how a lady sits, eats and walks and so much more. She is one of the most extraordinary artists I have ever come across, Sisanda Mashejo. She joins us today to share her lived experience as a young mother and wife, as well as to give insight onto how she navigates these two spaces while still remaining true to herself. Sisanda, welcome and thank you for joining us on the NDL show. Now, without wasting any more time, you are 21, turning 22 this year, married and a new mommy. When you pictured your life in high school, which was not so long ago for us, did you ever envision that you would be here at this particular stage in your life? To be quite honest with you, I always hoped for it, but um, I've always been one who was afraid of like actually setting goals because I was afraid of failing at them. But getting out of high school, I started failing at a whole lot of stuff that I'd never thought I'd fail at. And uh, that actually took me to, through my uh, darkest time, which then had me reevaluate my life and start replanning. And the place where I am now, I got here intentionally. So, yeah, I would say I did kind of envision it. I was just not um, quite ready to go after it at the time. 
Yeah, that's quite relatable. And can you walk us through that period after high school? Because I do feel that that time was quite instrumental in preparing you for the space that you're in right now. What did it look like? Well, it was a lot. Hey? Can I just take you through during high school? Because that ultimately led me to whatever happened afterwards. Definitely. Okay, sweet. So here I was in high school in an all-girls school, never fitting in. And um, I don't know, for the most part, I feel like the fact that I never fit in made me embrace being a loner. It made me embrace always, you know, being that one standing out and not going with the crowd and, you know, always just insisting on creating a new way for herself as an individual. So in high school, I was always a loner, not by choice, but, you know, certain things just I don't know I've always known what I didn't want in life so that helped me navigate my way towards what I did want so leaving high school based on the fact that you know um, I didn't have many friends I could literally just start over and reinvent myself and actually live out the person that I was and the person that I was trying to figure out at the time and rediscover myself as an individual um, it gave me the, the power and the permission to actually go out there. I remember doing my first year at UJ, I was very experimental. Um, I was experimental before, you know, even in high school, but when I actually had my freedom, even in terms of like the environment, I was experimental, not, not in the sense that is detrimental to my well-being or anything, but I allowed myself to actually just do everything that I felt like I wanted to do. Growing up, I had to raise myself for the most part. My dad was imprisoned. My mom worked a lot to provide for me. I was raised by my grandmother who, did, who then uh, died back in 2010. And on top of that, I was dealing with a whole lot of childhood traumas, which I had to get myself through by myself. You know, even though I did survive a couple of suicide attempts here and there, um, I eventually found my way forward. And so when I got to, you know, tertiary, um, I was just adamant about knowing who I was, what I was standing for, what I was, you know, the direction in which I was headed. And so I, I put myself out there. I would make it a point that, you know, I put myself in uncomfortable environments like going out to clubs, going out to um, restaurants. Um, meeting new people I was actually adamant about meeting at least one new person a day having a genuine and you know, real conversation with a total stranger and that was how I actually gained and you know maintained my confidence to keep that um, going so for me it was really just a matter of um, teaching myself as I had done all my life teaching myself new ways of life teaching myself how to be human and learning about my, my, myself in the process. It is quite important to let yourself discover more about yourself through putting yourself out there, right? Someone might be listening to this and wondering, how were you able to do that, especially with your past traumas, as well as you mentioning the fact that you were so used to being a loner for quite some time? Okay, so here I was in UJ doing my first year in fine art, and I had all these friends, I had all these people I knew, and then out of nowhere, I just started, okay, so I was molested between the ages of six and nine, right? 
But I had done such a great job after getting that and suppressing those memories and the emotions and everything that for the most part of my life, I forgot about it. A part of me actually forgot about having been molested and everything that went down during that period of my life. But when I fell deep into depression, it was because every, every single memory that I had been suppressing started haunting me. And this was during a time where I was really putting myself out there. So here I am putting myself out there, trying to reinvent myself. But my past is still, you know, gnawing at me. It's dragging me back. It's, hey, it's like, hey, dude, I'm here. Pay attention to me. So I ended up falling deep into depression. And funny enough, all the people that I thought were my friends at the time, except for one person, just disappeared. And I was happy. I was happy that I felt betrayed a little, of course, but I was happy that they didn't get to see me at that point in my life because even I couldn't recognize myself at that time. I couldn't really like pinpoint where I'd gone wrong or how it happened. I just woke up one day and all of a sudden I couldn't sleep at all. I was very depressed. I was praying, but it felt like, no one was listening and it was like the more I tried to like swim to the surface the more whatever was pulling me down kept pulling at me and it was it was like okay what have I done wrong I mean I felt like I was finally getting life right at this point I find I finally thought like I was like you know living it up and you know doing the most but life was like yeah hey, and slow down you know so I was scared I was really scared the entire time. Sure, and that is quite a painful reality, you know. And the fact that many of us have gotten so used to having to put on that brave face, that face that hides every trauma you are going through is quite traumatic as well. We go through things that are so, so harmful that our brains protect us from that pain. But it gets to that point where you're sitting down and you're trying to understand when did everything get so bad? I am so sorry, Sisanda, that you have had to experience that. I cannot imagine it being easy for you to live through and even say out loud right now. Now, while having to live through this trauma, was there any point where you felt safe enough to express the degree of your trauma to a family member, your mother or your grandmother? No, I didn't. As aforementioned, for the most part of my childhood, I raised myself. And that's not to, you know, be disrespectful towards my mom or diminish anything that she did for me or my grandmother for that matter. But when it comes to um, emotional and psychological and my mental well-being, at the time, I really, I, I never had that support. And I mean, I remember when I was being molested, it was for three years. My mom was working away a lot at the time. She'd go away for two weeks, come back for a weekend, you know, it was that, that thing. And then when I turned seven, she disappeared. Well, not disappeared, but she'd go and work in the Eastern Cape, for instance, I still stayed in KZN and only come back for like two weeks. at most. So my grandmother raised me and I spent a lot of time with her, but she was diabetic and she didn't have both her, well, she had both her legs amputated just below her knees. So she called everywhere and she was dependent on me most of the time for, you know, helping her get around the house, get what she needed and what 
But when I was being molested, the thing is my molested sister, older sister, she knew it was happening. But when I confronted her as to, you know, why she didn't stop it when it was happening, she told me that if I ever said anything, you know, about her brother, um, obviously she'd turn it against me. And so with being threatened by someone who's 15 years older than me, it was it was really hard for me to, you know, be that seven-year-old to be like, okay, this is what's happening. I don't even understand what's happening to me at the time. All I know is that whatever those guys doing to me, I do not like, and it is painful, and I feel disgusting afterwards. So I just kept it to myself. I didn't blame my mom or anything. I wish that I had someone to talk to because all that, the only devices I had left with Mo at the time were to literally just soak myself in the bath and scrub myself until I didn't feel as disgusting as I felt, you know. But to help myself, I would, you know, start doing a whole lot of sports at school. So I stayed in school longer. And by the time that I got home, then at least his parents would be home and, you know, none of that would take place. So it was just a matter of, you know, like I ended up doing athletics and netball and hockey all in one day, just so I could spend the most time at school and not go home earlier. And that's actually how it stopped. So I only told my mom when I was admitted in 2018, when I was admitted into the Kesso, the psychiatric hospital. And she was asking me why I was even there. Then that's the only time I told her, it's okay, this is what happened and it's been bothering me and I don't know how to deal with it. Hence, I've uh, been very suicidal and um, being admitted for, you know, uh, chronic depression, PTSD, and all that stuff. And this was 10 years later. And Nakon, I still didn't want to speak about it because I felt so ashamed. I felt so disgusting. I felt so stupid. And I remember the only question my mom asked me was, why did you keep quiet and why is it only bothering you now? Sure. And I hung up the phone. I didn't answer those questions. I, I didn't know how to, you know, phrase my answer or phrase whatever it was that I was feeling because I was asking myself the very same questions and I was being hard on myself because as much as I was angry and I wanted to get back at him because now I'm older I I know better and you know I can stand up for myself but I felt like it was too late it was two years later and he moved on with his life he has a child of his own life went on and here I am stuck in my 10-year-old trauma as a six-year-old or a nine-year-old or an eight-year-old. And I feel like my life is over. I don't, I don't, I didn't even want to live at the time. I couldn't find a reason to go on at the time. And yeah, so I was just very angry and bitter. And I remember even growing up as much as I suppressed it, I was still, now looking back, I still had hints of it. Because I mean, when I was 14, I was diagnosed with anemia. Mm-hmm. This is shortly after my period, which I had at 11. But when I was 14, I had a doctor literally tell me that, hey, you're anemic and you are, you suffered so much genital um, injury that your chances of having kids are like slim to none. Mm-hmm. And from there, I was literally made to believe that, hey, you'll, you'll never probably have a family of your own and that's when I started adopting the mentality of um, adopting my own kids instead of having them Mm -hmm. and I became okay with that 
I, I became literally content with the idea of adoption. And I remember that quite vividly, you know, you always advocated for adoption in high school and just hearing your experience is so, I can't even find the words. I'm I'm really sorry, Sasanda, that you were violated. And on top of that violation, you were silenced by someone who was not only close to you, but very close to the perpetrator. How would you describe your relationship with your girl cousin who protected her brother who was abusing you sexually? Did you ever confront her for enabling him and protecting him from the consequences of his actions? Or do you ever feel like doing that at present? You know what, Nandu, I do. I won't lie to you. I feel like confronting him even. I feel like confronting my mom for not doing anything even after I told her about it. I feel like confronting my uncles for never arranging that meeting they said they would arrange to address the matter. I feel like, you know, just maybe cutting my entire family off sometimes, but that's not me. And one thing that I've learned, you know, through life and with everything that I've gone through is that at the end of the day, justice is served. Whether it is through our justice system whether it is through life and, you know, it's karma, whether it's through God or religion, justice is always served. And that cousin of mine who silenced me, that woman, she has a daughter of her own now. And for the most part now, she pretends like nothing ever happened. But I've, I've told myself that, you know, part of my healing, I had to forgive I had to accept apologies that, apologies that I never received. And that was all for me. I had to do that for myself. I had to pick myself back up and move on. Whether or not people were willing to acknowledge what they had done, I had to do that for myself. And with that, I had to forgive myself more than anything. Um, it is not my place to, you know, judge and hang out punishments for no that's not my place I believe that whatever has happened is just I don't know it just gives me a greater testimony and that's what I choose to run with and everything that I've learned and wish I had done for myself I know to do for my daughter and other girls out there now so yeah Sure, that is quite powerful, I must say, you know, because not only are you acknowledging this trauma and the adverse effects that it has had on you, but you are also forgiving them and yourself, most importantly, and shifting it from saturating yourself in anger. I really do commend you for choosing to listen to your spirit when it comes to moving forward from this. You know, as you were speaking about high school, I was reminded about the magnitude of issues we faced as black girls. You know, you were amongst the boldest people to advocate for our rights when it came to hair. You know, when some of us were too scared to speak up about how problematic those rules were. And there was another fight that we were fighting that was for the relationships that we had with our mothers. So many of us would convene to speak about how unloved we felt by our mothers at the time. We'd go home on weekends to go back to school heartbroken because of the state of our relationships with our moms, right? And I want to pose the question, because you and I once had a conversation pertaining to that in high school. How has your relationship with your mom during your formative years shaped you into the mother that you are today? Ah, uh, yeah, it's been a journey, hey? I remember 
shortly after getting married and, you know, being vulnerable with my husband, a lot of the issues that I saw, you know, battling had mm. to do with my mom. I had a lot of questions about, you know, the way she raised me, why she wasn't there, things that I felt like she should have done or ways in which I felt like she could have supported me or been there for me or just been my mom, mm. but she wouldn't. Like my mom failed me. And thinking back to everything, there was a time where I was, I remember telling my husband, like, you know what, I'm done. I I hate the fact that even after everything, I'm still the one trying to reach out and create that relationship when I feel like I have so many apologies owed to me by her. And, you know, just I had so much anger and, you know, heartbreak where my mom was concerned. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that, you know, you have this maternal connection with this person because they brought you here on, our, on earth and you have no choice as to whether or not you love them. Mm-hmm. They're your mom. Yeah. You know, biologically, you're wired to love them. But life happens and there's so many experiences that she missed. I felt like my mom didn't love me. And for the longest time in high school, I remember we had that conversation. I didn't even know what to say, you know, with regards to whether or not it was on her side or my side, I felt for the most part that maybe she just, she had me at a time where she wasn't ready to have me and her relationship with my dad made it even worse. That's what I concluded. But now being a mom and her, you know, trying to be there for my daughter and trying to be for her what she couldn't be for me, I kind of understand. I kind of understand where she's coming from. I I sort of understand her, you know, methods of parenting. Mm-hmm. I remember she called me not so long ago and she was like, um, okay, we had a conversation about Niamo. She asked me how she was doing. And then just before she ended the call, she was like, please do me a favor. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, please raise Niamo in the truth. Don't ever lie to her thinking you're protecting her. And I paused sure. because I thought for the most part I did it with me. I get moments where I'm like, you know what? I don't blame my mom. I don't blame her for being the way she was. She is one of eight children that my grandmother had. And yeah, she had to share a lot of things. But besides that, she probably went through certain things, maybe even things I've been through. It has gotten a lot better with Niamo in the picture me having a baby and her, you know, regarding her as her own and spoiling her and whatnot. We talk every day now. We used to talk like once every three months. Being a mother myself and having so much responsibility, um, I mean, raising a baby and being, you know, responsible for a whole life is a lot. Yeah. It's a huge People really downplay it. People on Instagram, you can look cute. It is hard. Yeah, it is really hard, but you just get up every day and you you, you fight, you do your best because you you show up because you must. It's so great to hear you speak on the improvement in your relationship with your mom. You know, I also find myself relating and I don't know if it's something about being in high school where you think you know more than your mom or hormones, 
because there were quite a number of us who felt like our relationships with our mothers weren't the best at that moment. But at present, things have gotten much better for many of us. And you bringing in that fact that you understand that your mom is a person is so important because we often think of our parents as not necessarily being human because we don't expect them to make mistakes like we do, which is not true. Now, Sisanda, you mentioned that being a mom is challenging. What challenges have you experienced that you find are particularly tied to your age? There's a saying that goes, um, your life stops when you, you have you know, children. And for the most part, it's kind of true, but not at the same time. You now have this person to think of and they come first at all times. I, I'm 21. I have so many opportunities. I had an opportunity to um, take up an apprenticeship on a cruise ship as a, an art auctioneer. I couldn't because mm-hmm. I can't leave her for six months and only come back for two weeks. Mm-hmm. I don't want to raise my baby like, like that. I, I don't want that for her. I had to showcase in Italy late this year. I can't. I had to, I got, a, I got offered a scholarship to um, debate at the Change the World United Nations model in Abu Dhabi and Dubai last year in mm. November. I was sure. pregnant. And now I'm at a point where I'm fortunate enough to have a husband who supports my dream and will fund it and will be there for me emotionally, mentally, physically, financially. But also I wake up early every day, thinking that, okay, I'm up at 4 a.m. so I can exercise and do this and have breakfast and you know get my life in order. But at the end of the day, I still feel like I haven't gotten anything done because I have a painting that I've been working on for months. I've, well, two paintings, actually. I have um, a degree. I'm still secure. I have certificates I'm trying to, you know, acquire. It's a lot. And I feel like I can't get anything done at this point. But obviously, kids grow. And the more she grows, the better it becomes. Because I kind of, you know, get a routine. And I know how to work around it. But it's, it's really tricky. Your life kind of does stop for a moment. And you have to, you know start creating a completely new plan to accommodate your family, your daughter, or your child, and your husband at the same time. I have to be there for myself. I have to show up for myself. I have to show up for her, and I still have to show up as a wife. And it's a lot. I mean, I'm 21. They say live your best life in your 20s. I feel like I'm living my best life because this is what I wanted for myself. I wanted to settle down at an early age. I wanted to have a family um, early so I could, because I have a very big dream for myself and having all of this sorted out early in my life will help me, you know, better navigate that dream and better, you know, plan for my future. So I've, I have everything that I wanted. It's tricky. I'm young and I know that I still got a lot of time, although sometimes I feel like I'm running out of time. Another challenge is, not being hard on myself. And mm. with that, I went on postpartum depression. I had, I, I was very depressed even during my pregnancy. 
because of the hormones. Oh my gosh, the hormones are just something else. But yeah, knowing that all my peers are graduating, you know, we're graduating this year and, you know, they have their degrees. That's that's the dream for every Black parent to see their child graduate. And yeah, that has caused a lot of bumps, you know, in my relationship with my family and whatnot, but also my relationship with myself. Thinking now about how, you know, I would love for my baby to look up to me one day when I tell her, hey, go to school because you need an education, um, but not have a degree to show up for myself and be like, I also got one. It's hard to think of, but I wanted to know that school is not the only path you can take. And motherhood is the best, honestly. It's the best. I wouldn't treat it for anything. Um, There's never a time having a child early or having, you know, anything that I have at the moment. That is really amazing. And I like that you said life didn't stop. It just paused for a bit because we are often told that your life will stop. And knowing you from high school, there is nothing that can possibly stop you from doing anything. You mentioned your husband and I would like for us to actually get into that because we're living in a time where people insist on prescribing the ages one should get married at. How did you know that your husband was the one? Because he was everything that I wanted and from the list of things that I didn't want there was not even one thing that he you know like I found him guilty of like he wasn't perfect he isn't perfect no one is perfect but the way he treated me and the way he still treats me to this day he's been consistent his being consistent in showing me love, not just telling me about it. He's being consistent in, you know, ensuring my happiness and, you know, planning for our future, supporting my dream, being there for me. He's so easy to talk to. Like, he's the kind of person who just looks at you and you want to pull your heart out to. Like, he's that easy to talk to. And he's much older than me, which, I don't know, it just makes it even better. He tries to put himself in my shoes all the time. And like I said, our goals and dreams are aligned. And yeah, it just, everything just made sense. It made perfect sense. And it was like with every, you know, when you try to sabotage your relationship because you feel like you're not deserving of that person. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, they're just that good to you. And I, I went through that stage where I would like throw things at him, be like, but I've been through this, but I'm this kind of person, but this is how I handle such situations. And each of them, he just take gracefully and be like, okay, so how are we dealing with it? It has always been, how are we with him? Mm-hmm. When I prayed and asked God for a husband, because I did, mm. this is him. This is the guy I was praying about. I've just always known from the like from day one, I've mm. always known. Sure, that's amazing. You know, it's quite hard for many people to find a partner who loves you through and through, a love that is pure and sees you through. I know that sounds like poetry, um, but really you touched on um, the age difference between you and your husband. And I want to get into that as well, because I see so many people get weird when they discover the age difference, even between my partner and I. And I'm always like, 
But why? You know, I don't see a problem with it. In fact, our ages have nothing to do with our relationship, you know? I think I think what bothers me the most is people who think that just because we have a partner who is um, more like a senior to you, you have daddy issues. Yeah, yeah. People do that thing of diagnosing you because in their minds it's not normal, even if you are an adult. And on Twitter, there was a chat that went on about young ladies who date older men. Many people were of the opinion that if the lady is the younger one, then it only means that they are being groomed. And they said the same when it's a young man. And the thought behind it was when you're young, you don't tend to realize when someone is manipulating you because the older person has an advantage over you. What is your perspective on that, particularly as you navigate your marriage where there is an age difference? Mm. I think a lot of, like I said, people always have an opinion, hey? Whether you're dating someone who's your age, then it's a matter of, ah, but women mature, you know, faster than boys and stuff like that. Like, to me, what made sense to me, quite honestly, is the fact that for the longest time, I literally got to know my husband now. Uh, I literally got to know him for about two months before I actually knew his age. That's how deep in conversation we were. That's how connected we were even from the jump it was a matter of hey this person is you know coming through for me in this way and this is what I've got to offer this is where I'm strong this is where he's weak this is where he's strong this is where I'm weak so we we literally just vibed instantly and it wasn't a matter of you know seeking financial aid or looking for a father in him or anything like that it was a matter of finding a best friend and cultivating that friendship into uh, a relationship and then eventually marital you know relationship but yeah I remember that whole debate on Twitter and then it became about how boys also now uh, often go for older women and like babysitting and stuff like that I feel like Nundu some of us especially girls with everything that is going on in South Africa now, I don't understand why people don't get this, but some of us are forced to grow up very quickly. Mm. And mm. that is because of as women, we instinctively have that, you know, maternal instinct. We we like nurturing and we we know how to be there for another person. We know how to come through and We've had to do that for ourselves for the most part of our lives. You know, we've touched on the the relationships we may or may not have had with our mothers. We are still going through a whole pandemic of femicide and, you know, gender-based violence. And with everything that has happened in our country, I don't get how people don't understand that what is or what you think is supposed to be isn't what necessarily society will conform. Mm-hmm. And... I think the fact that some of us have to grow up very quickly. Women, in most cases, know what they want at a certain age. Just because I'm 21 doesn't mean that I should behave or act like most 21-year-olds. Like, you have people who get married at 30 and get divorced by 40. Are you going to tell me that they also didn't know what they want going into that marriage? Yeah. You have people that get married at the time mm-hmm. within the course of it. Why? Because people constantly evolve. The person that uh, married my husband 
at 21 years is not the same person he'll wake up next to in five years time and in two years time for that matter mm. when we started dating I was just a girl I was just a girl following her dreams now I'm a mother now I'm his wife going on over the years we might have more children I'll become a mother of a toddler and a newborn I'm constantly evolving and so is he Definitely, and I would like to focus on the point you made about how, as South African girls, we have been forced to grow up quickly because of how society continues to treat us. That, that is very true. And in my perspective, when it comes to this age difference chat, love is love. In my relationship, the only time we remember the age gap is on our birthdays. And I'm glad that you don't let people's opinions hold you back. And Sasanda, I'm interested to know, you know, how you navigate your home, you know, do you find yourself having to subscribe to the ideal of being a homemaker, cooking and cleaning and all of that? Or is it different? Um, no, I do not subscribe to those, you know, traditions or um, preset notions of what a man should be doing or what a wife should be doing. I feel like it's a matter of, hey, at the end of the day, this is a partnership. We are here to do everything together. When you get married, you become one. There is no, this is mine, that's yours, it's ours. If we're prospering, we're all prospering. Mm-hmm. If today there's no money and we're just living like bread and eggs, that's it. Just because, you know, I have certain things and he came with certain things doesn't mean that we, you know, subscribe to whatever premeditated um notions of you know gender roles or marriage roles or whatever it is were like it's just a matter of I remember we had this conversation with my husband where we sat down before we got married and I was like okay so before we do this what do you need me to do as your wife and um are there certain things you want me to you know like uphold what roles do you need me to play in your life he's like wait 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 what do you mean what do you mean what roles? I'm like, do you want me to be that traditional wife who cleans and cooks and looks after the kids and whatnot? And he's like, no. When I found you, we spoke about our dreams. We spoke about our aspirations. I promise to ensure that you pursue your dream and you never give up on it. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we're doing. Why do things have to change now that we're married? I'm glad that you do whatever you want to do in your relationship. And you've spoken about your dream. Many people might want to see your art. You know, where can they find you? And what do you envision for yourself in the near future? Um, I'm Sisanda Art. Well, Sisanda underscore art on Instagram. I'm currently in the process of um, recreating and, you know, updating my website. So I will put that up on my Instagram bio as well once it's done. I'm also an art mo. I have artwork for sale. I'm open for commissions. But the bigger dream, of course, this is all just to like pave the way forward. The bigger dream is to go international, eventually found my own institute where we use art to solve scientific problems. Um, I do have hopes of like hosting workshops all over the country globally as well. But that's just one of them that's just one of the you know the things i hope to achieve 
And I do not doubt you one bit. Sure, thank you so much, Sisanda, for coming onto this space and sharing your story with us. I believe that it will bring a lot of insights to very many things for our listeners and also just to give a renewed perspective of what it looks like to be a young mother and wife. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me and um, believing in my story so much as you, you know, have me share it. I really, really appreciate it. That was Sasanda Mashekho walking us through her lived experiences as a mother and a wife at the age of 21. Please do follow her art page on Instagram at Sasanda underscore art. And of course, let us know what you think about the various issues we touched on throughout this episode. We're looking into creating a space in which people can share their stories so that together we can all gain greater understanding and sensitivity towards the way in which many of us navigate differently. I want to play at your heartstrings a bit. Francis J recently released his single called Let Me Go. Follow him on the socials at Francis J Official underscore on Insta and at Francis J Music on Twitter. And as Francis sings in your ears, may you let go of every single thing that doesn't serve you. Let us know what you think of this music. From my producer Tulani Sidra and I, catch you on the next one. Something in the way you love me. Something in between your words I know I ain't paranoid We're just trying to fill a void And I can't be the one and only When we're just scared of being lonely I could never ask you to wait I could never ask you to change Funny thing about it Is I think you probably would anyway for me to stick around Don't think I can hold you down, yeah. I think you should let me go
Thank you.